Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, security resilience in federal government and tackling the high-risk list at your agency. It's Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast sponsored by Cisco, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Top cybersecurity leaders from government and industry are coming to the Zero Trust Summit later this month. You'll hear how agencies are adopting zero trust and modernizing their security postures. It's all happening at the International Spy Museum on February 23rd from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. You can learn more and register now at fedscoop.com. Federal cybersecurity spending is getting a big boost in fiscal year 2023, including a $230 million budget increase for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's cyber programs. This comes as a new report from FedScoop shows about half of respondents have faced network or systems outages or a network or data breach at their agency. In this interview with Scoop News Group's Wyatt Cash, Federal Public Sector Marketing Manager at Cisco, Norm St. Laurent, explains the right steps agencies are taking to reduce these outages. Well, first, they have a huge um, area of coverage, right? We can get into classified networks all the way from unclassed, uh, confidential, to secret, to the TSSCI networks. Um, we can get into a whole bunch of different areas, like Department of State with all the embassies across the world. So these guys, the federal government has a lot to cover, right? So having a network go down, um, you know, whether it be, you know, a firewall rule that's wrong or some sort of um, device, you know, that, that malfunctions, um, you know, it's, it's going to happen. And the percentage here, I think, is right on key uh, for all these guys. Um, you know, it's just going to happen. These networks are huge. Um, thousands of customers using them. And, um, you know, recycling the gear and buy new gear um, comes up every so often. So it is what it is. Um, but I think, you know, that the security operations centers amongst the agencies know this, and they're trying to put tools in place to help detect these kind of networks, um, outages and shortages. And in a related matter, uh, one of the other findings in the study was just the degree to which agencies are kind of wrestling with having a mix of modern and outdated security. For example, uh, 24% said they had what they considered modern security, uh, that is systems kind of could connect to one another. Um, about a third said, uh, gave themselves a rating of four out of five, another third, a three out of Five, uh, and a, a decent percent still said they had somewhat outdated security. So uh, my next question for you is, how are you seeing agencies making headway in really modernizing their security systems? You know, I can tailor right off my last response with this. Um, these government agencies have a lot of ground to cover. As we know, um, <clears throat> getting the systems, the new systems in place, um, they're up one or two years, and then they're outdated. And it takes a while for these customers, these agencies, to get these networks up. I mean, hard, good, hard help is hard to find, and that's just a fact. I've been in the federal security arena for over 35 years, and good help is hard to find. Um, and, that's, and that's just the way it is. As you go up the stack, the security stack, all the way up to TSSCI, help is even harder to find. So, you know, I think these numbers are on track as well. And agencies are doing the best they can um, to get tools up 
It takes a little longer than expected for all agencies. Um, that is that is for sure. And once it's up, it's usually time to start looking around for the latest and greatest widget again. Well, speaking of widgets, I think one of the chronic challenges is the number of tools that agencies are continuing to work with. Uh, in, in many cases, because they've come from an on-prem history, um, you know, they've assembled a lot of unique solutions that they've had to cobble together. Uh, and now as they're moving to the cloud, uh, they're really needing new kinds of tools. So I thought it was interesting in the study, for example, that more than half of respondents, um, you know, uh, rather about um, 44 percent specifically reported having 11 or more different security technology vendors working across their IT environments and this idea of just how many different tools and the degree to which they are or are not integrated remains a key challenge so again what are you seeing uh, are agencies taking the necessary steps to simplify or standardize their security tools particularly as they move to the cloud yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, in my in my relevant experience, um, seeing agencies put up their security tools, I've seen anywhere from twenty five to thirty seven security tools alone in the sock. The one thing that needs to happen with these agencies is they've got to start thinking of an integrated secure architecture approach, and this can only be done with integrated um, open open industry standards. So using open APIs so that, you know, Cisco can talk to XYZ company and XYZ company can talk back with Cisco, all that. Um, and, and then surely, you know, everybody says the swivel seat and the plane of glass, that makes it hard. Expertise comes and goes with these agencies. Um, and, you know, you get somebody knowing product A or product B um, and learn, you know, the plane of glass and how to move efficiently. And then perhaps that talent is gone within two years because contracts change, all that stuff. So it, it's a real nightmare and a fight to be able to um, not have a security architecture. So agencies need to be looking at a security architecture to have a win-win situation here. And just to follow on that, how, how do you recommend the agencies that again, probably dealing with multiple vendors and probably uh, with, uh, you know, historic architectural frameworks behind them. How, how do you recommend that they uh, get to a, a more standard uh, security architecture? And, you know, obviously zero trust has been one of the ways forward. H how are you seeing this evolve and what is your recommendation to agencies? Well, it's going to seem strange, but I'm going to go right into route switch. I mean, you need route switch just to move the data. And if you can use these WAN solutions alongside comprehensive security products um, and set yourself up for success with the security architecture by feeding data from your route switch environment, you're going to win. These devices are out there. Let's turn that network into a sensor. These devices can produce NetFlow as an example um, and pump this security data and other relevant data to, to systems to monitor and evaluate what's going on. And this goes for wired and wireless infrastructures as well. Um, you know, let's use the network to granular, um, granularly use network segmentation, um, all the way to the port, the device, or even the person when needed. So let's uh, turn the network into part of your solution. You have it out there, let's turn it on. That's what I say. 
Well, and for the sake of our listeners, I also mentioned the study covers a number of other areas worth noting, and we'll uh, link this study to the show notes of this um, uh, podcast. But for example, uh, we asked IT leaders to talk about uh, how well or how advanced they are in things like endpoint detection and response and extended detection and response, as well as things like secure service edge, uh, secure access service edge, uh, and things like micro segmentation. So take a look at the show notes and for that full study for more details on that. I think I'll just wrap up, Norm, with uh, one of the other things that we saw in the study uh, was uh, two things in around just the level of support for security. One was the staff sizes at agencies and found that, uh, for example, 42% of our respondents said they had at least 100 or more employees or contractors in their organizations, you know, having dedicated security roles and um, some big percentages having 50 to 100 or less. But another part of that was we asked agencies, do they use external response services for unexpected cyber events? And fully two thirds said that they did. Um, My question for you is how are you seeing the sort of security as a service component evolving on top of the actual uh, networking hardware so that agencies that in many cases are short-staffed are able to stay resilient? That's a great question. I think, you know, when you're buying your equipment, uh, agencies really need to shoot for that enterprise agreement and get two or three tools um, in all at once, possibly up to five um, good tools to conquer all their mission and then get services in with that bundled together so the price is less. Um, there's so much to cover, right? I mean, you have all these contractors, um, all this different talent. It really boils down for success is to be able to have a playbook, right? An incident response playbook. These playbooks are so important um, to have a guide to follow if a breach does happen and to make sure that a response readiness is, is set up for success. So. The different tools, the number of tools that we talked before, really having that game plan with playbooks um, will drive success for these agencies. Well, Norm St. Laurent, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to join us, uh, give us some of your reaction to this new study, and really talk about the bigger picture view of achieving security resilience in the federal IT marketplace. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's a great study. Uh, Everybody should read it. It's... um, you know, high level enough to, to get a focal point and you can see what, what other agencies are doing and, uh, and this will help you uh, pinpoint some of the stuff um, and see where you fit into the landscape of cybersecurity. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. You can learn more about federal cybersecurity and read the full report presented by FedScoop and underwritten by Cisco at fedscoop.com. Coming on Tuesday's episode of the Daily Scoop podcast, how the CIA is modernizing its hiring process. The agency's talent acquisition office chief, Cindy Sisko, explains how the CIA is streamlining their talent acquisition pipeline. That show debuts Tuesday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your podcasts. The Government Accountability Office has made over 350 public recommendations for securing federal IT systems and America's critical infrastructure since 2010. GAO says more than half of those recommendations have not been implemented as of December 2022. 
Marisol Cruz-Kane is Director in GAO's Information and Cybersecurity Team. Marisol, thanks so much for joining me today. Marisol, let's start with some of those, uh, you know, large number of public recommendations, 350, that's a lot. Has your team found any similarities or themes as to why some of those recommendations haven't been implemented across the government yet today? We sure have. The majority of our open public recommendations can be classified into three categories. First, addressing the IT workforce issues. These issues can be especially challenging for federal agencies because they struggle to recruit and retain top IT talent with skills in key areas such as cybersecurity. The second category is developing cybersecurity plans and strategies. And here, agencies need leadership commitment and coordination to be able to establish effective plans and strategies. And then they need to figure out how to successfully monitor those efforts. As we've highlighted in some of our recent reports, the federal government needs a comprehensive strategy to solve cybersecurity workforce shortage issues, and the current administration needs to issue the national cyber strategy in order to protect our nation's critical systems and networks. The last category would be protecting against current and emerging IT threats. Stakeholder communication is key here as this remains a large challenge for agencies, particularly when it comes to sharing timely and actionable information on our emerging cyber threats. Marisol, in a recent report, your team breaks down some of the challenges that government faces in uh, cybersecurity, high risk, um, and uh, we'll link to that in our show notes uh, today at fedscoop.com, but I'd like to walk through some of the main areas discussed, starting with what actions can government take to execute a more comprehensive federal cyber strategy? Sure. The government took an important step forward by establishing the Office of the National Cyber Director in 2021. This was important for addressing a long-reported need to clearly define central leadership's role in coordination efforts to overcome our nation's cyber-related threats and challenges. But moving forward, the government needs to continue to expand on the strategic framework that it outlined in the White House's 2018 National Cyber Strategy and its accompanying implementation plan. In our report, we noted that when we evaluated the plans together, the documents only address some of the key elements for a national strategy. We think that the government still needs a comprehensive strategy that clearly identifies our national level of cyber risk, goals and timelines for all of the tasks included in the strategy, and details on the resources for accomplishing those tasks. Updating those two documents would not only improve the comprehensive nature of the cyber strategy, but it would also provide a roadmap that our government needs to meet the critical cyber challenges facing our country. And obviously something we hear a lot about is the continued uh, challenges from the global, global supply chain. How can agencies continue to mitigate risk from that supply chain? Mitigating those supply chain risks is still one of the most pressing cyber challenges facing the federal government. Our agencies are extensively relying on information and communications technology manufactured throughout the world. So this introduces numerous risks like malicious actors trying to exploit the vulnerabilities at various different points in the global supply chain. So there are a few steps agencies can take to mitigate those risks of the supply chain, and they all include implementing foundational practices for supply chain risk management. Some of the important practices are establishing executive oversight, which would include designating an agency-wide responsibility for the supply chain risk management process. 
The next one would be developing an agency-wide supply chain risk management strategy. Next, conducting agency-wide assessments of the supply chain risks. And then also reviewing potential suppliers, looking at their processes for designing, developing and testing, and delivering products and services before you do business with them. And as we've noted in our recent work, none of the 23 agencies we reviewed have fully implemented all of those key practices. Government, like many industries, obviously also struggles with the cyber workforce challenges. Uh, do you have any recommendations there that uh, agencies can do to better address those shortages? A resilient and well-trained, dedicated cyber force is essential to protecting our federal IT systems and networks. But we still face a critical cybersecurity workforce shortage, and federal agencies are facing a number of challenges in recruiting and retaining qualified cyber workers. But we've identified several actions both individual agencies and the government as a whole can take. So for recruiting cyber professionals, we're encouraging support to K through 12 cyber education initiatives, which hopefully will introduce the cyber field to children earlier in their education. Next, providing more cyber scholarships to college students to be able to pursue degrees in the area. The whole government can streamline the federal hiring process including shortening the length of background checks. And then lastly, we could use additional hiring authorities to bring candidates in in a more timely fashion. And then the retention of the professionals, we're encouraging training existing employees to be able to fill critical cyber positions, providing incentives for employees to obtain additional IT and cyber certifications relevant for their jobs, we could also use interagency rotational programs to develop our cyber skills across the government. And lastly, encouraging providing additional work flexibilities for our cyber professionals. So Marisol, as we close out, uh, we're thinking about some of the emerging technologies that we hear so much about, quantum computing, AI, and things of that nature. Obviously, these come with inherent cybersecurity risks. Um, so I'm curious from your report, what steps can agencies take to ensure the security of those emerging technologies as they adopt, mature, and develop them? Well, the first thing is, as these technologies continue to evolve, the federal government's approach to managing the risk it comes with also needs to evolve. So for example, the growth of internet connected devices, which we refer to as the internet of things, includes when we integrate networked IT with operational technologies that manage or interact with processes that we use in our physical environment. And because of this, a damage to any of those technologies from an attack could be catastrophic. So to address the risks from IoT, federal agencies that have responsibility for specific critical infrastructure sectors need to take some actions. First, we're encouraging them to conduct sector-wide assessments of how these IoT risks are affecting their sector. Then we need them to develop metrics to measure the efforts to address those risks. And then you mentioned AI. AI holds significant promise but the reliance on algorithms and autonomous decision-making introduces significant risk. And those include the possibility of malicious manipulation of things and the potential bias in decisions made by artificial intelligence. In order to help us address some of those issues, GAO developed an artificial intelligence framework. The framework's organized around four complementary principles 
which address governance, data, performance, and monitoring. And the practices in the framework can help ensure accountability and responsible use of AI in government programs. But on a larger level, the government needs to strike a balance between protecting our nation and reaping the benefits of these new and potentially beneficial technologies. This could include establishing technology agnostic rules and guidance that place limits on what technology can do, but not necessarily how it can do it. NIST has an established Internet of Things program, and it coordinates with industry and federal agencies to provide access to guidance and best practices for securing these technologies. All of their efforts are calling for a raised awareness and assessment of risk that the emerging technologies present to us. Marisol, fantastic conversation. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. You can learn more about GAO's high-risk series at fedscoop.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll talk to you again Tuesday afternoon. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks for listening.